dream, dream romantics. We begin by looking back, first in Freud and then in myth. We saw that the dream belongs to the underworld, but ever since Freud, interpretation of the dream has meant translation into the upper world. Depth analysis, despite its name, moves dreams toward daylight. Now, if we refuse dream interpretation in the usual analytical sense, then what alternatives are there for working with dreams? There is one we shall refuse straight off. I mean the romantic notion that drifting through images on the bark of sleep is enough, calling like Keats. Oh, magic sleep, oh, comfortable bird, that broodest o'er the troubled sea of the mind, till it is hushed and smooth. Oh, unconfined restraint, imprisoned liberty, great key to golden palaces, strange minstrelsy, fountains grotesque, new trees, bespangled caves, echoing grottoes full of tumbling waves, and moonlight, I, to all the magic world of silvery enchantment. Endymion. Let us not believe that the romantics are all dead. There are some with us still, and of all places, in the laboratories of sleep research, where we find again the romantic trust and delight in the night world. For some R.A.M. sleep researchers claim that dreaming per se is beneficial, whether dreams are remembered or not, worked on or simply let to hush and smooth the troubled mind. It is enough to dream. To have dreaming interrupted or prevented occasions general psychic disturbance, so they say. Alfred Ziegler, who works in similar laboratories with a dissimilar attitude, has shown that dreams cannot justify the opti optimistic philosophy and euphemistic conclusions of his co-researchers because dreams are preponderantly unpleasant. Even in the ideal conditions of the sleep laboratory, where we return to nature in the most romantic sense of descent into the private cave of our own souls, protected, warmed, and delivered over in silence to what nature offers us, far more dreams are unpleasant than pleasant. Ziegler raises the unromantic question. Perhaps nature means to harm us, even finally to kill us. And there is plenty of evidence of pathology during dreaming, REM sleep, including heightened blood pressure and nighttime heart attacks. Ziegler's angle of approach is physiological, his thought biological, but the myth informing his attitude is classical. He too is returning the dream to its background in the chthonic underworld of Hades. A second alternative is so close to the romantic position that it too is unsatisfactory. This one comes from Jung 
although he himself did not hold to it literally. Jung said, a dream is its own interpretation, and sometimes the most we can do is to dream the myth onwards. To take Jung at his word here would not admit enough the work that is in the dream, nor the demand on the understanding that the dream presents. The ancient art of the dream interpreter is not only a defense against dreams, but has arisen, as has all hermeneutics, of what we today call symbolic material, hand in hand with the dream. Both are gifts of Hermes, the work of the mystery and the work on the mystery. For dreams are not only natural phenomena, they are above all imaginative products. They are elaborations, linguistic and imagistic complexities, attesting to what Freud called dream work, traumar bite. Even the dumbest dream can astound us with its art, the range of its reference, the play of its fancy, the selection of its detail. If we follow our own principle of likeness, then our response to the dream must go beyond the natural appreciation of dreaming it onwards. We shall have to respond with critical, imaginative, appreciation with a work that resembles its work. There is still a third alternative, carrying dreams on into waking life, or what are called waking dreams. Let us take this dream. I am in a doctor's waiting room. He hands me a baby with dirty diapers and says, change it. Rather than interpret the dream in the old sense, or letting it float through the associative mind in the romantic sense, we may get back into the dream. In this case, we return to the waiting room, feeling the feelings of the me, the doctor, the baby, the dirty diapers, and even the room itself. We enter into and become all parts of the dream. This alternative does not truly move beyond feelings, and so it too becomes another romantic variety. Becoming a doctor, a diaper, a room, is not what the dream said in its actual imagery. This is clear and distinctly stated. I am handed a baby by a doctor and told by him to change it. The doctor wants the baby changed, that conundrum is given me by the dream doctor. To turn me into that baby, or doctor, or a waiting room, encourages my fantasying to idle and associate, thereby bloating the image beyond its precise limits. Moreover, the identification with all the other parts obviates the nasty challenge handed the dream ego. To take hold of a beshitted baby and change it. For all its value in teaching one what it feels like to be a dirty diaper and be shot on, 
to be a doctor and give cleanup orders, to be a waiting room and provide space for others who are ill, empathetic identification with all the figures in a dream finally returns the dream to the waking ego, who romantically absorbs the dream through his feelings. This engorges the ego, who swallows his own dream by becoming its images, instead of working on his reactions within them. Therapeutically, the work done is for the sake of the waking ego, ego psychology. The dream still serves the day world, and so this method is appropriately called a waking dream. Dream Ego The fourth course, and the one that shall be ours, takes its direction from Freud's term, dream work. Freud uses this term for a series of peculiar mental operations that go on in the night. Condensation, displacement, regression, archaization, symbolization, over-determination, reversal, distortion. Of course, these words are all day-word concepts. That we look at the dream in these terms indicates that already a translation has taken place from night-world activities into the language of daylight. What goes on in dreams has already received a pejorative description. The work of the dream is called regression, displacement, distortion, and the like. Even worse, later Freudians, such as Roheim, then take these concepts so literally that they state the basic work of all dreams is to regress and displace a person through symbolizations into the maternal vagina and archaic uterine waters of fetal sleep. The subtle dream work of the night has been captured by the gross and undifferentiated concepts of the day world and made to serve its monocular basic view. Dreams become distorted and condensed, as the theory states. So, if our therapeutic job is to walk the ego back over the bridge of the dream, to teach the dreamer how to dream, we cannot use these terms for its work. We must reverse our usual procedure of translating the dream into ego language and instead translate the ego into dream language. This means doing a dream work on the ego, making a metaphor of it, seeing through its reality. Let us then suspend an entire series of ego operations, the ego work, the modes by means of which the ego has been approaching the dream and performing its translations. These are causalism, seeing dream sequences in causal connections, naturalism, assuming dream events should accord with the upper world of nature, moralism, seeing moral positions in the underworld, and the dream as compensatory expression of self-regulatory conscience. Personalism, 
believing the realm of the soul to be concerned mainly with personal life. Temporalism, connecting dream events with the past or the future, either as recapitulations of what happened or foretellings of what is to come. Voluntarism, seeing the dream in terms of action, which requires a response and actions. Dreams tell us what to do. Humanism, that the dream is primarily a reflection of and message for human affairs. Positivism, reading the dream as a positing, a positional statement to which positive and negative judgments can be applied. Literalism, taking any dream or aspect of any dream with singleness of meaning, thus forgetting that every bit of the dream, including the dream I, is a metaphorical image. As the ego sees a set of pejorative factors at work in the dream, regression, distortion, displacement, so the underworld perspective sees a set of pejorative attitudes humanism, personalism, literalism, at work in the ego. It is these attitudes which must first be suspended before we can approach the dream in an altogether new style. Take, for example, the Tagarest, the day residues, which according to Freud constitute our dream imagery. We no longer take them at face value referring back to real events in a literal world of the day. Instead, we imagine that the dream is digesting certain bits and pieces of the day, converting its facts into images. The dream is less a comment on the day than a digestive process of it, a breakdown and assimilation of the day world within the labyrinthian tracks of the psyche. The dream work cooks life events into psychic substance by means of imaginative modes, symbolization, condensation, archaization. This work takes matters out of life and makes them into soul, at the same time feeding soul each night with new material. It is like the worldwide practice, especially Egyptian of putting objects from life into the tombs of the dead. Their whole world was transferred with them. They had to have immense supplies, for psychic life is an unending process, needing ample materials. The right work with dreams aids this transferring or dying process that goes on anyway in the dream itself. It is a work that parallels what the dream is already doing. Interpretation, like dreaming, becomes a dying to the day world by ruminating it from literal realities into metaphorical realities. The more I dream of my mother and father, brother and sister, son and daughter, the less these actual persons are as I perceive them in my naive and literal naturalism and the more they become psychic inhabitants of the underworld. As they rise into the vision of my nights, 
and I mull and digest their comings and goings. The family becomes a familiaris. Internal accompaniments no longer quite the literal people I engage with daily. Gradually, the family moves from being the actual persons I must resist and contend with to living ancestors, ghosts or shades, whose traits course within my psychic blood, giving me support through their presence in my dreams. My family home shifts its ground from ge to Thong. How long we go on dreaming those old family scenes. There is mother scolding, her eyes framed in glasses, father's back turned, a long dead brother still in the other bed. Why these eternal returns to the same figures? What does the psyche want? What is it doing bringing us back former loves as present agonies, night upon night, faces we kissed goodbye, come back asking still for something more. Usually we think these repetitions and perseverations mean a complex has not been resolved, but what does that explanation really say? Perhaps there is a work going on in the dreams, prolonged cooking of obdurate residues that dissolve the all-too-solid flesh of remembered persons into their simulacra, shades of themselves, so that they may depart, freed of our attachments, and we may live in their presence without being oppressed by their life. These figures are more than complexes to be resolved. There are also emotional substances going through the work of soul-making.